1: Time's best-selling award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers. and This is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell. We are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time.
0: A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about geese and eggs, and you weren't quite sure what you were going to get. Is this like a Ferrari situation where we may never find out what's happening, or, <laughs> or did you get some resolution with this?
1: There's been some resolution. <laughs> so um, what I was saying before was that the, the geese have all just been one big happy flock even though there's more than one breed of geese and so I really had no idea what was going to show up in the eggs like were they going to be you know idea and so it's finally happened the every little Christmas present is beginning to open itself and I am uh, disappointed mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. So I have the Chinese geese, and they're prolific layers, and I've always had a really good hatch rate with them. And then I have the buff geese, the American buffs, who are the, one, they're the ones that I love and the ones that I want more of, but they don't lay a lot. And so far, the only one of their eggs that I know is their eggs that has gotten close to hatching them make it all the way through. So all the geese that are, all the little goslings that are hatching are either Chinese geese or a mix of Chinese and buff. And what this tells me is that the the eggs that the Chinese geese are laying, they have good, they've got strong genetics. The babies are healthy. Um, They've got the vigor that it needs to get all the way through the incubation process and get themselves out of the shell. But whatever those buff geese are laying, they're worthless. (laughs) They're not making it all the way through. They're either not fertile or they're not um, strong enough to get all the way through to to the lockdown, which is what happens when in the last couple of days when you just don't touch the incubator and just lock it down, and let them do what they do. And if they do make it into the air cell, they're not making it out of the shell. And that's very, very disappointing, but it is what it is. And um, so I'm hatching plenty of babies, just none that I want to keep. So. Every single one wow. of them is going on to another home, and eventually, I'll get to where whatever I have left, I'll um, I'll give a few to the to these guys out there, so they have some babies. But I don't expect that anything I give them will last long because it's just a it's a rough and tumble world out there, out in the wild, as a goose. So anyway, <laughs> that's that's where it's at.
0: And that's a story for another day. Yes. All right. So we have a Q&A again today. And last week, we were talking about character expectations. So first question for this week, um, not a character expectation question, but a character question. Should characters be fully formed in your mind before you write them?
1: Well, I would be an absolute hypocrite if I said anything other than no, because my characters are never fully formed before writing them. Uh, the best that I do for myself is I have a sense of who they are at their core ish. Um, what what it is they want? What's driving their choices in this particular story? So, because I know that there are particular plot points that we're going to hit along the way, and for those to make sense, they have to be driven by the character. So I spend a lot of time. Asking myself, why would they do this? What makes them want to do this? What is, are they afraid of? What's the worst thing that can happen if they fail at this? Those types of questions. So in that sense, I do have a sense of the character. But I find that as the story progresses and those characters are, the, 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 the story itself, the plot points of the story start to become more the plot points of the story start to become more um, solidified. Things start to congeal and the characters are forced to make decisions. Sometimes it's just the little everyday decisions. You know, what are they going to do with their time in the waiting periods between things? You know, how did they decide to do this or that those types of small little character decisions, what makes them laugh? What brings them joy? Those are all parts of character that I find come to the surface through the writing process. And if I had to think that stuff out and form the character fully before I ever started writing, I would never start writing because I can't envision it or feel it, see it, sense it, any of it, until the character is actually thrown into that specific situation And I have to articulate what they're doing and why. I I can't do all of that in advance because I don't even know all of it in advance. So as far as I'm concerned, no, your characters don't have to be fully formed before you write them. You just have to be sure that as you write them, you are consistent in how you form them.
0: Do you... As you're writing, is do you reach a point where you feel like, oh, I really know this character now? Or is that the end of the book before you go back and start the second draft?
1: You know, honestly, I don't think that I ever really fully know a character until I'm challenged on that character. So when I wrote The Informationist, I learned as much about Monroe from reading what readers wrote about her and the way they responded to her as I did in the writing process. And each mm. book, it's become a little bit more and a little bit more. And so the way I know Monroe now is so much deeper and uh, alive and real than I knew her four books ago. Each each The more I write her, the better I know her, if that makes sense. Okay. Next
0: question. This is a, this is an interesting one on a couple of different levels. Can a story be good if it doesn't have an underlying message or a particular theme?
1: I think I'd also be a hypocrite if I said anything, <laughs> but no. <laughs> um, it took me a good long while, uh, five books maybe, before I even began to understand what theme was. And so, I mean, if you've read the earlier books that I wrote and enjoyed them, well, then that's the answer to that question. Can a story still be good? Yeah, obviously, because I didn't necessarily have an underlying message or a particular theme. Um, I think you kind of have to separate the two concepts of underlying message and particular theme. Those are two completely separate things because theme can be sort of an emotional thread line that threads through the story, whether it's like family or homesickness or what it means to truly love someone or what it means to be willing to risk everything for a goal along those lines. Those are are themes and when you when you understand that driving emotional heartbeat of the story it allows you to keep folding ideas back in on it and it it gives it all a much richer sort of texture because theme is meaning you're basically supplying the meaning to a story you're saying this is what it's all about and you don't have to be heavy handed about it at all It's just in your word choices and in the way the character thinks about things. And it's so subtle that in many cases, people might not even realize what's happening. They just sort of feel this richness coming through the story that brings them a sense of completeness or joy or satisfaction from from the story. And that's all going to come from a unified theme. But you don't, I, I didn't know that. And if there was a theme in any of my stories, it came accidentally, um, and it came from consistency and trying to not be scattered and and go all over the place with what was happening and just sort of directing the character's thoughts in a specific direction. And I would have done it to keep the plot coherent, to keep motives coherent, to keep all the the threads into the same braid but it wasn't because i was thinking oh this is what the story is about but the consistency in trying to articulate those things would have allowed readers who picked up on things to feel maybe sort of a a sense of unifying completeness or like a thematic sort of forward flow maybe that's Theme though, but underlying message is something completely different. That's almost like you're preaching at the the audience or you're trying to to hammer a specific point. And there are novels that do that and they really work. But it can be dangerous, I suppose. Not dangerous like it's the it's gonna. You know, something bad's going to happen to you. But when you start imposing your voice, your worldview onto a story in such a way that it becomes obvious, it's going to feel very preachy. And readers generally tend not to pick up fiction to be preached at. They pick up fiction to be able to escape and to feel and live vicariously through other people's lives so if you have an underlying message that you're trying to get across you have to do it incredibly subtly so that it does not feel like your voice you are imposing on the story but it feels natural to the characters themselves and it's the characters voices and thoughts and desires in such a way that it, it it's organic to the story and not superimposed on it. So can a story still be good enough if it doesn't have an underlying message? Absolutely. There is no requirement that any story have an underlying message. Like, it's fiction, it's fun, maybe it's not fun, maybe it's depressing, whatever, but it's a story and you're you're not there to preach a message for it. So I think it's just important to separate those two concepts because they're different things. And you can still have good stories without either one of them. You can have good stories with both of them. Theme is always going to make your story richer and deeper if you do it right. But it's not critical to having a good story. It just makes it better.
0: Okay, so longtime listeners of this show will know that you are, I won't call you a research junkie, but you're a very thorough person when it comes to research. So the question is, when is enough enough when it comes to research? And I'm guessing for you, it's, it's closer to the end than the beginning
1: of the research project. well it's always going to be closer to the end because when enough is enough then you stop right um yeah. <laughs> but i think that my take on it is enough is enough when you know exactly as much as you need to convey what needs to be conveyed in that particular scene without overburdening the story with details with unnecessary details and without being so under researched that you say things that are ridiculous on their face so you need to know just enough to make sure you know what you're talking about and that's going to depend and and change and vary based on what it is you're researching if you're researching a location then you you need your settings you need to feel you need to understand how the place feels you need you definitely need a sense of culture because a location is not the buildings and it's not the layout of the city and it's not the the vibe of the downtown scene or whatever. All of those things are necessary to convey the environment. But a location is its people. A location is its heartbeat. A location is what Brings it to life. And ultimately, that's going to come down to culture. So I would spend way more time researching the culture of a place, learning the ins and outs of how introductions are made, how women are treated compared to men, what's the appropriate way to enter the household of somebody that you're visiting for the first time. Those real tiny, subtle things that make you look like a real outsider when you don't get it right. Those are the things that interest me when I'm researching about a location because you're going to find that type of stuff in the body movements, in the the little action beats between, between dialogue and whatnot. To me, that's far more important to get right than what a street looks like If a building is in the right place, I make up a lot of that stuff anyway. It doesn't really matter unless you like writing a guidebook that somebody can actually go walk down the street and see the building that you were talking about. But if, for example, there is a particular building that plays a key role around the story, let's say a bell tower in a specific city from which so much of the drama comes from and the the conflict and the, that that bell tower is a huge part of the story then i would spend time researching its history and try if i can't visit it in person i would try and visit it in person but if i couldn't then i would try and and almost build a 3d model inside my head so that i could be accurate in describing what was happening to it but i would go that far as far as i needed to be accurate to the to the scenes that take place And no further, because anything beyond that is it's not going to show up in your book. The readers aren't going to know whether you researched it or not. You're you're only doing it for your own peace of mind that you're you're delivering accuracy. Um, There are times that I've researched things that have been fascinating and I've fallen down rabbit holes reading about it. But I'm not I can't call it research at that point because it's way more than what I would need For the story that I'm writing, all I'm really doing is educating myself, entertaining myself, learning things for the sake of learning, but it's not really research. that I crossed that research threshold a long time ago, and now I'm just down a rabbit hole. So enough is enough is when you have exactly what you need and nothing more. Sometimes it can be a little tricky to figure out how much you'll need, because that comes with experience. I would say that too much is better than not enough because the more you know the more you're able to tell when you're not when you're not being accurate and accuracy is important to me when you haven't done enough research and you just throw things out there and you don't know what you're talking about that can be kind of embarrassing especially if your readers call you out on it in public so i would and enough is enough when you know exactly what you need to fulfill that scene and maybe just a tiny little bit more than that
0: Okay, this next question, I'm going to add to it. So I'm going to read the question and then I'm going to ask my own question and then you can go back and answer the question. Okay. My finished work is about 15,000 words too short for my genre. To salvage the story, I'll need to make it longer. How do I do that? So that's the question. My question would be, how tightly do we need to adhere to what we think the expectations are for uh, genre length?
1: Okay, that's an easier question. <laughs> okay. So I would, how tightly you need to adhere to it depends on what your ultimate goal is. If you're going to be your own publisher, then that's your call. You you can do what you want. I don't think readers are as fanatical in their expectations about genre length as we imagine they are. If you're trying to get your book published traditionally through a traditional publisher, then it matters the length of the story to the genre matters a whole lot more because the publisher themselves are going to have expectations of what fits within their branding, I guess, or how they operate. Um, You, you generally, once you cross a certain word count threshold uh, have an easier time erring on the side of a too short story than a too long story, because the longer a story is, the more words it has, the more expensive it's going to be to do everything regarding that story, more expensive to edit it, to copy edit it, to publish, to um to take it through the the preliminary steps of proofreading and all of that, and then more expensive to publish, more expensive to ship, or it just goes on and on. So to have a story that comes up a little bit short on genre expectations is probably going to be an easier thing to deal with than to have a story that that shows up longer than than the expectations and that's for traditional publishing but if you are your own publisher then you get to make that call and I don't I don't really think it matters quite as much but as to the the question about having a work that's about 15,000 words too short how do you make it longer that's a that's a tough one because in my opinion it's far easier to cut Down a story that's too long than it is to to beef up a story that's too short, and it's really easy, unfortunately, to try and increase that word count by throwing in extra scenes or, you know, just adding in stuff that doesn't really matter to the story. I think readers are going to feel it. I remember before I even. I don't even know if I'd even started writing The Informationist yet. I I was, back then I would buy books at garage sales and then turn around and sell them on eBay to try and supplement our very, very, very meager income. And I didn't usually read the books because, you know, busy life and all that, but every once in a while I would. And I whenever I would do this I would always try and buy series. So like, you know, six books from a single author is a whole lot easier to deal with than just one. And so there's this one time that uh, there's this one author that I I found that I I enjoyed their books and so if I had more of them I would try and read them and I think they had more than one series going. And this one particular book I was reading it and the scene took place in which some characters from a a different series showed up and interacted with this character and, and some stuff happened. And I remember at the time, and this is long before I knew anything about story or, you know, making sure that every scene deserves its purpose and all of that. Um, I remember thinking, I don't understand the point of this. Why, why was this here? Because it didn't have anything really to do with the, um, the story at hand, just tangentially so. And these were characters that I recognized from elsewhere, but they didn't really play any role in this story either. It was just this one-off scene where they showed up and a tiny little bit of it helped to to direct what happened next. And I, I remember thinking, I, what, what is this? It, it felt so out of place. And looking back on it now, I have no idea still why that scene was there. And I don't know that the book was coming up too short, but I would say that that's the type of scene I would expect to see in a book that was coming up too short. And the author's just, (laughs) you know, kind of scrambling and trying to find content to fill it. And I would say, don't do that. Your readers are going to see it. They're going to notice it. They're going to feel it. So what would I do if I was coming up short? I would focus on character. And I would create perhaps a subplot that involves the character, involves character, and maybe adds a bit of tension or drama to the main storyline, in that it is stealing the character's attention away from this main storyline and causing there to be conflict elsewhere, something along those lines. Instead of trying to create more out of what already exists, and then making it feel like fluff and thriller, perhaps create what didn't already exist that can add on to what's already there, and it feels organic and perhaps even increases the tension. Another possibility, depending on genre, is to increase the number of red herrings that the the characters go through to get to where they need or um, throw up a few more roadblocks make the line from A to Z a little more zigzaggy, along those lines. That's sort of, I think, how I would approach it. But it's really hard to say because I've always had the opposite problem in that I always have too much story and I have to cut it down.
0: Well, let's say that's the issue then. So you've got that someone is like you and they have too much story. How how should they cut it down and do it in such a way that they don't shoot themselves in the foot?
1: Well, you know, I think it depends on what is making the story longer than it needs to be. When I was writing Liar's Legacy, which if you've followed this um this show for any length of time, that book just it almost destroyed me. I I still cannot bring myself to go and read it, even though I personally think character-wise and story-wise is probably one of the funnest, most entertaining stories I've ever done, maybe ever will do. The writing process of it was so brutal that I never had more than a chance to do two drafts on it. And I know that two drafts is not my best work. And, and just the shame of that has made it so that I I just can't bring myself to write it because I'm afraid of how bad it is. But when I finished the first draft of that book, I was 20,000 words over count, and I had to cut 20,000 words out of it. And I couldn't see the forest for the trees. I didn't even know how I would manage to do it, how to figure out what was important, what could get cut. I was a mess, and I didn't have any editorial guidance to work with at the time. And so I started from the beginning. And as I went through it, I just kept cleaning up small things, little small things that, you know, redundancies, things that could be, weren't really critical to that particular scene, conversations that dragged on a little bit too long, stuff like that. I wasn't rewriting it. I mean, cleaning up, there's always a little bit of rewriting going on. But what I was doing was line editing it. And I line edited 20,000 words out of that book just by default. I wasn't on a mission to, you know, oh, I got to get this. I was like, well, let me do another pass through. I'll take out whatever I need to take out that clearly just needs to be line edited out. And then if I haven't gotten enough cut, then I'll go, I'll already have, the whole story will be fresher in my mind. So I'll have an idea of how everything's fitting together, and then maybe I can cut a few scenes. But I never had to get to that part. I just, just through cleaning it up and tightening it, I was able to get 20,000 words out of the story. So that's always going to be my first suggestion is line edit your shit. That will definitely cut down word count. It just, you know, 10 words here, 20 words there, five words here. It adds up. If that if that has failed, like you get whatever you can out of the line edit, and then you go back again and you start looking at it from the sake of is this critical to the story? Why is this scene here? What is the purpose of this conversation? And based on the reasoning for why it's there, then you work, uh, you work on shaving off whatever doesn't serve the purpose of that scene. And you just try and do it in such a way that you're not cutting out things that link thoughts, link ideas, or that show up later. That was a foreshadowing that you forgot, didn't, you know, that connected later on. Just try and spare yourself from that. But you can take a lot out of a story just from that type of cleanup that you may not ever even have to cut scenes. Now, if you're 50,000 words out of count, over count, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that might be a little more challenging. Think about
0: serializing the whole thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Cut it into two books. I don't know. Like the, the, I I may end up facing that with the story that I'm writing now. Um, it it just it's still growing, and I honestly don't even know how big it's going to be when it's done. But I can't think about that in the moment. I just have to get through to the end. And and then once you have the whole thing, if you try and do that type of cutting along the way, you may end up making it worse because you don't really know what's going to matter as much as it matters until you've reached the end and you see how everything fits together. That's my take.
0: All right. So that is our show for this week. As Taylor has said before, uh, if you have questions, send them to us. If you have material, uh, send that to us. Uh, we we would love to answer specific questions that you have, deal with specific issues Anything to add to that, Taylor? How'd I do?
1: No, I'm. you said it all, and you did great. <laughs> Thanks for being here, guys. We will see you next week.